speed, agility, power. I'm a big fan of these things. All of the performance I demand for myself on the ice is here. Handles all of my needs in dynamic fashion. Okay, so I, no word of a lie, this just popped up when I opened my default browser. It's a uh, it's a headline that says, "Should Benedict Cumberbatch pay reparations for slavery?" <laughs> and I gotta say, it seems unfair to pin it all on one guy. Uh, <laughs> what, wait, was Twelve Years a Slave a documentary? <laughs> was he in that? Yeah, he's a slave owner in that. I think. Oh, that's funny. I thought they were just saying, like, should he? You know, somebody's got to step up. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. It's, it better be him. It's, you know, it seems, it seems especially unfair to pick an English guy. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess they had slaves too, but, you know, less recently. But worldwide, you know. Uh, Cody's here, everybody. Uh, no Vias today. Uh, me and Elliot with 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 Cody filling in. Hello. Uh, how you doing today, Cody? Well... Yeah. I am a good week away, or no, four days away from like like the worst holiday break ever. Oh, I uh, I my holidays kicked off with me throwing out my back, mm, yeah. so I was like lo- like bedridden through the Christmas break, and then when oh, I finally no. got better, uh, I got like that flu that's kind of going around, and oh, that yeah. put me on yeah. my ass for like seven days. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, Ugh. so that's fine. So now I'm back, and I get to talk about Jack's notes. The Vancouver Canucks? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No. But yeah, anyways, I love being on the show with you guys. So it'll, that'll be fun at least. Yes. Oh, yeah. thank you. It's fun. To <laughs> oh, have... Elliot's here. Never mind. <laughs> it's, fun to... <laughs> it's fun to have you on because I feel like, I feel especially with it, Vias absent, I feel like you bring a similar energy, except you actually know stuff. Um, <laughs> so it's like I, I feel like I get slightly more of a break. I don't have to like fill as much airtime while Vias like Google's who Niels Oman is or whatever. Um and, and I eat less uh crunchy foods. That's while, also true. While recording. While yeah. recording, yes. Yeah. I can't speak to the rest of the time. <laughs> um but I guess like so we haven't done one of these like a real one in over a month. Uh, Vias will be back at some point to fill us in on how the Spengler Cup ended and what the other game was like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the last there's no other did... way to find out who won the Spengler Cup. No, but... absolutely not. I'm not. I'm not googling it or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, it's probably hard to find out who won the Spengler Cup if it wasn't Canada. Yeah, because no one cares, right? <laughs> no one cares. Yeah, like no one out here, anyways. Yeah, I'm sure, I could find like something in Swiss German or whatever that would tell me, but I wouldn't be able to understand what it says. So. Yeah. There's an article in Romanche that's like, oh, I see Davos and Lugano and I yeah. know the rest. <laughs> yeah. Um. So obviously there there is Canuck stuff to talk about, but it's basically just the same shit as, <laughs> as always. And so um, I, having Cody on is nice because it means we get to talk about the Abbotsford Canucks who seemingly uh like okay i guess the best way to put it is if you had told me that i would be able to be as positive about the abbotsford connects this year 
as as I am able to be I, at the start of the season, I would not have believed you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, correct. Because like it was pretty bleak. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean the Canucks prospect pool is very bad. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of uh, helped along by the fact that they made the questionable, perhaps, decision to send down their two best like under 22 players mm-hmm. uh, to, down to Abbotsford after playing both playing like over a hundred games in the NHL. Um, I think Hoaglander, maybe even close to 200. Um, yeah. So that's maybe not great, but even absent that it seems like there are guys playing for the AHL team that maybe look like they could be guys, uh, which is, which is great because <laughs> if you had, you know, looking at the Canucks system at the start of the year, I would have told you there were basically no guys. So, yeah, <laughs> the fact that maybe there are guys now and one guy that I want to ask you about, I guess I might as well start here. He sort of he had like one big game with the big club kind of popped off and then sort of disappeared. But I wanted to ask about Lane Peterson because I feel like everyone knows the Rutherford's history in in Pittsburgh of finding the you know the mark donks the tim fucks the <laughs> the jim beams the john yeah. browns the, the jack you know, daniels of yeah, the world yes exactly yes um and uh you know it seems like it would be sort of par for the course for for him and alvi and to get this like ahl sort of guy who's been very underwhelming at the nhl level as a throw in 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 a trade for ethan bear and then have him actually I mean, he's been legitimately insane in the AHL. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I, most people can look pretty good playing with Elias Pettersson, but yeah, you know, he had, he had that one pretty good game and he's kind of been in and out of the press box since then. But is, is he maybe a guy? I mean, he could be a guy. It's tough to say, right? Like, to your point, like anyone can look good playing with Elias Pettersson and that's why they're saddling JT Miller next to him again, because that's sort of, it's like the, the in-house rehab project is, uh, (laughs) Hey, who's struggling right now? Oh, it's, it's insert guy here. Well, Elias Pettersson is unbelievable right now. Yeah. It like in both ends of the ice defensively, offensively, Mm -hmm. let's just stick whoever with him. I'm sure at some point, we're going to see Will Lockwood or something get like like a three-game run with him where they're like, let's see if we have something here because yeah. every other guy isn't working. But Lane Peterson, like he had that debut and it was like, oh, is this like Alex Burroughs 2.0 where it's just like just this random guy from the farm comes up and just <laughs> yeah. has chemistry with a star for some reason? Because that's what it kind of looked like. And then it was, you know, the team started playing like shit. And of course... Lane Peterson's the new guy, so it's like, oh, he's the problem. So yeah, we, we're gonna we're gonna scratch him. Yeah, it's it's not the nine million dollar forward who's, you know, moving his feet twice a game, <laughs> or or the you know seven million dollar defenseman who ducks at shots that come near him. Yeah, or the six million dollar right shot defenseman who forgets there's a face off going on. Like, <laughs> it's none of those things. It's obviously the guy making seven hundred and fifty k who scored like two points playing with Elias Pettersson <laughs> yeah. in one game. Yeah, uh, it's totally weird how that works, but you got to put JT Miller with him instead, so of course he slides out. I felt so stupid because uh Sam had me on the 
Ah oh, man, I'm I'm oh, fucking yelling on myself. Whatever the, the fucking thing the, is that she does. The Steve <laughs> Sam does. It, it's the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, Network post game yeah. show. Yeah, it's yes, the SDPN yes. post. Yeah, I I was on it the one time with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did the the post Buffalo Sabers game, and I think they like came back to win or something. Sure. And in the chat, like it, it's delayed, right? But like Sam and I were just kind of like. Yeah, great. They won, but like it's Buffalo. Like they suck. Who cares? Oh and, yeah. And the chat was entirely Buffalo fans. <laughs> so like I rattled the entire fan base like from the get-go. And they That's just had, so funny. did not care about anything I or Sam had to say for the whole show. That's very it's really funny. intimidating when you got the YouTube chat going on for the critiquing you. Good. Thankfully, I never saw any of it or paid attention at all, which is kind of par for the course for me. But um, I did see later that uh, that someone was like, wow, damn, like, why why did I even watch this? It's so negative. Like they won because it was a Sharks game yeah, or whatever. And I was just like, as as with everything Canucks related these days, I just still can't believe we're still doing this. Like oh, there are so sure. many things like we'll you know, I don't want to like get bogged down in Canucks stuff too much. We can talk about JT Miller more in depth mm-hmm. a little bit later. And I, I, I don't really have much interest in relitigating the coach thing, but like, I can't <laughs> believe that it's literally like we are one year removed from, Oh my God, Bruce Boudreaux, you know, Bruce, there it is. Like uh, Travis green was the problem. There was no, mm-hmm. you know, the roster is great. It was just being coached poorly. Like yeah. this guy's going to come in and he's going to save everything. And then literally like a year later, cause by that, this was sort of the point where the Canucks had rattled off a ton of wins by, mm-hmm. by now um, that people were sort of saying that. And now literally a year later, it's like, Oh, I wonder if maybe the coach is the problem. And uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, if another guy could get more out of them and it's just like, Jesus, like at least it took, you know, the Bo Horvat thing that's hanging over everyone's heads right now, obviously brought up the age gap thing again and Ugh. them picking up Jack Zubica and the, yeah. and Ethan bear and all of that. But Hey, at least it's been like almost five years since we talked about that. You know what I mean? It's only been a year for, since we recycled the, the, the coach talking, the coaching debate, which was funny because at the time too, it was like, Oh, Travis green systems don't work. And then they get like a year of Boudreaux. All the fan base goes nuts and Bruce, there it is. And then like, not even like a month into the, the continuation, they're like, Oh, you know what? I think it's a systems problem. It's clearly not the players. We need a new coach with better systems. Like uh, at what point when you're a fan, do you just not like, like kind of open your eyes a bit and you go like, Hey, maybe it's the players yeah. and the systems, systems don't you do anything. Yeah, yeah. When you say systems, it's a two syllable word and that's important. <laughs> a two syllable word, you know, that's pretty, that's a $5 word right there. Uh, so when you say like a system, like you just tweet out like, Oh, the systems don't look too good tonight. People are gonna be like, well, this guy, you know, kind of knows what he's talking about. I, I will say one of John Tortorella's finest moments in Vancouver or of his actually entire career, like in terms of talking to the media and dealing with the media was when somebody like criticized his system. And he was just like, I highly (laughs) doubt anyone could even tell me what my system is. That rocks. And, and like, I remember Bosch and a couple other people made hay of that of like, Oh, well like maybe that's a, you know, like maybe that reflects poorly on you or whatever, but like he was right. Oh yeah. Like nobody who says the word system even fucking knows what they're talking about. There are like, (laughs) <laughs> probably like 
there's probably like two guys maybe in the entire market who actually do systems analysis yeah. or have done systems analysis at some point when it comes to uh, mm-hmm. covering the Canucks. So like, I thought that was very, very, very funny. And I think that needs to, <laughs> that like talking point needs to come back that like nobody even knows what a system is. And also most coaches just co- coach the same system anyways. Like they're not and, hugely different from one another. And most people in hockey too probably can't even communicate their systems to anyone other than hockey players. Absolutely. What a system is because like yeah. half the time, you know, like, uh, like Sarah, like Jeremy Colton or, or Trent Cull or Jeff Ulmer, whoever it is, yeah, goes on like 650 and they're like, so what's with your defensive play and the system you guys use? They're just like, you know, it's just about working hard and yeah, you know, it, sticking to your guy. It's the yeah, same. Yeah, exactly. Every time. So it, Our system is working hard. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. That's not a system. It's yeah, it's like whenever like all these sound bites with like your mother for tell me how like like the the plan we have is to you know find good players and improve as as we can. And it's like that's not a plan. Yeah, every team does this. This is our plans. I do love the like, yeah. You ask someone about the systems and they're like, Oh, well, we we need to work hard and or whatever and stick to our game or whatever. And it's just like, okay, how does working hard explain like where the F1 goes when the yeah when yeah. you know when the puck carrier crosses the blue line like there or yeah, whatever there was, there was obviously like a shift too like recently in the last like two years where like people really kind of started to catch on that f1 meant the first forward in on the four check so now everyone uses f1 to also yeah like, alongside system to really like kind of hammered in absolutely i'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that, that out of my ass i, be, yeah. I don't yeah. know who the, i don't know what any of these fucking things mean like yeah, I, know, I mean i it, do kind of but not really you know makes- i'm glad so you brought up Jeremy Colleton because that was another thing that I wanted to ask about. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm always really, I guess, I, I'm very skeptical um, that coaching makes a huge difference. Um, I think, like, basically, if you you only talk about a coach when your team is either really bad or better than they should be, basically. So it's like... Mm-hmm. Uh, coaches come up when either like a good team is underperforming and you're like, Oh, what the fuck? Why is this good team underperforming? Or when uh, a team that should be bad is like way better than they, than you'd think they would be. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my, I guess my thoughts on, on coaches are kind of similar to my thoughts on goalies. I think they're sort of fake. Um, They're not completely fake. They're just fake in the middle, unless they're really, really good or really, really bad. Basically all that, shit in the middle is just like eh, kind of interchangeable um right whether people want to admit yeah. it or not but jeremy colleton um seems to be getting pretty good reviews in abbotsford and has very very recently started to kind of get talked about as a possible like maybe not future head coach yeah probably not interim coach because it seems like they don't want to go that way but like a guy that they want to keep in their system what's your read on jeremy colleton how he's done this year what his future is in the organization it it's tough to say because obviously there have been like some significant improvements in some prospects like danila klimovich like obviously like started terribly then like the back half like he just kind of it just kind of clicked and he credited the coaches uh, advice with you know his turnaround and kind of finally understanding what he needed to do to be a successful player uh but then you also factor in like you know the Sedins are now a big part of it they 
mm-hmm. they did a bunch of work to improve their development program, uh, specifically with like on ice coaches, including the Sedines. Uh, they have a like a skills coach and their skating coach that are now like full time. Whereas last year they were kind of like floating between the NHL team and the AHL team. So it's kind of like a is it just Jeremy Carlton or is it like a combination of like all these pieces finally actually being utilized properly? Mm-hmm. Whereas before, you know, under the Benning era and to a lesser extent last year as well, where Rutherford took over and didn't really have a feel for what was going on in Abbotsford, you kind of had like just all these spare parts. And it was like, okay, we have an AHL team. Uh, you guys will all work there and we'll call up guys from time to time. Good luck. Yeah. You know, like, like a lot can be said about like Trent calls work with the AHL. And like, I've been critical, like, millions of times yeah but the more i've like heard about like what was kind of going on there like it was kind of just like a well like no shit no one got developed yeah because half of the guys that went to the ahl were either written off before their like elc even kicked in yeah or it was like literally just a holding area for the quad a guys to be called up whenever you know they had an injury to jay beagle or brandon sutter whoever it was there was no like impetus to ever be like okay in three years we need jonah gadjevich to be like a two-way player who can penalty kill for us and maybe chip in on the second power play unit yeah sure. they never did that like they never tried that with any of them yeah there was no attempt to like articulate what they wanted from their young players no and and that's yeah a big change of that let this year where it's like there's this kid arshdeep baines who was an Mm -hmm. overager from the giants and He's his first year. It's his rookie year. And after kind of, you know, earning his trust on a fourth line role, kind of playing up and down the lineup, he's now getting PK reps, even though like he's just a kid. Yeah. That, like would have never happened before because there would have been no direction from the higher ups to say like, this is what we view this player as make sure he does this. And now that you kind of have that with Jeremy Colton, which to his credit, like he's, he doesn't have to do it. Like, he could just be like, I'm coaching for my next NHL gig. I don't really need yeah. to. Which play I think these guys. is what Trent, like, if you look at what happened with Trent Cole, like, Trent Cole, yeah, he, he didn't do a good job from, from like my perspective or your perspective, mm. but from his perspective, he got a promotion. He works for yeah. the big club now. So, like, yeah. you're going to tell him he did a bad job? He did what he was probably trying to do. You know, and mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe there's something to be said about the fact that like now all of a sudden the team seems completely dejected and like they hate their life and have no <laughs> direction whatsoever. And like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of what it seemed like the Utica comments were like, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's anything to that. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Is I mean, this Trent yeah. Cole's fault? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, that's the thing. It's like a lot of, I remember like when they announced the new coaching staff for this year, they're like, oh, Trent Cole's been promoted to the assistant coach and Jeremy Colton's brought in. Everyone's just like, he sucks. His track record sucks. Mm. And it's like, well, like kind of, what did you expect? Like you can't, you can't on one hand be like, oh, Jim Benning is the reason why the Vancouver Canucks sucked. He didn't mm-hmm. give his coaches or his team anything to work with, and he hamstrung them at all costs. It's like, if if you're blaming this guy for being like this huge idiot that ruined your favorite franchise and your favorite team, yeah. you can't also be like, oh, it's on this one guy to also have not developed anyone. Because at a certain point, you got to be like, yeah, oh, well, like true. that extends like top to bottom. 
And like the things I've heard is just kind of like, yeah, they were just an island. Like literally Mm -hmm. in Utica, they were like a complete island. Like there's all these like stories that you hear like that, like for at first glance are just kind of funny. But like you think about it more and you're like, oh my God, they had the Brian Johnson like arranging flights. He had like players reaching out to him be like, hey, Brian, can you drive me to the airport? Because they didn't have like a like a rep there to like arrange this kind of crap, like a transportation person, like. It's just like it's just like little things like that where you laugh at first glance giving and you think new, about it. You're like giving poignant new meaning to the phrase, I'll drive them to the airport myself. Yeah, like it's just like <laughs> oh my god, it's just like embarrassing, like looking in back in hindsight. And you're like, no wonder like all these other like garbage teams in the NHL are lapping them because they actually use their farm properly. Yeah. Well, that was a really big deal in Utica just because of how far away it was for uh call-ups, right? Oh yeah, like that you needed to drive three hours or two hours to Syracuse, then fly to Toronto, then fly to wherever the hell it was. Like yeah. it was like incredibly inconvenient, but they didn't have to pay like a certain amount of money. They let uh, the Utica ownership group handle all the finances of the arena and stuff like that, and they took their pro- their cut. So it it's was like so funny <laughs> that anyone ever tried to paint them having, I believe, like the furthest distance in the entire league between their AHL team and their NHL team mm-hmm. as like, no, it's good. Cause then they can call people up when they're on the East coast or whatever, which like doesn't, that, that never made any sense to me. Like, well, the lot, the logic too, was they, they tried to argue it. Like we get more practice time and it's like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> like you're not practicing 24 hours a day every single day you probably have just as many off days on the west coast as you do on the east coast well and that's the thing that doesn't make any sense to me is that it like it's like people people would say like oh well like when they're out on the east coast it's easier to call people up and it's like okay well first of all they play half their games at home so so that's already the most games that they you know what i mean like yeah the place that they play the most hockey games Mm -hmm. is at home yeah, so and then, the second most is the West Coast because that's how divisions yeah. work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, well, it's really, really convenient 15% of the time yeah. <laughs> when they're out like really far or whatever. And it's like, it's just like, I don't know, like a lot of the time, like most of the time, probably, you know, you need to call somebody up like before you go on the East Coast road trip, anyways. Ish. I always thought that was so weird. I, I was just like, how no, how does anyone buy this? Yeah, it never made sense too because usually these teams go on road like eastern road trips with a spare forward and defenseman. So like it's like, oh, you yeah. guys like are you guys not bringing extra guys on your trips that you need to make emergency call-ups from Utica like that quickly? Like is that it's that important? Like yeah. it's just so dumb to like I don't know, it's just, it's just clearly like, oh, we didn't think about this. We don't care. We don't want to have to think about it. It's already. I already have too much on my plate going to the U18s. Our fans and the people who cover the the three people left who cover us are too stupid to question like this, anyways. And yeah. no one cares because like all our good young players are on the team, anyways. Yeah, like, and we're selling their jerseys, so who cares? Yeah, like only reason anyone even cares about uh, Abbotsford right now is because of uh, Hoaglander and Bud Colson, basically. I mean, <laughs> you know, Klimovich, like. I, I think Klimovich is still, pr- you have to be a pretty fucking huge nerd to, to know who he is or care. Yeah. Um, and also, like, you need to be doing some wish casting as well. Not that I'm not, like, glad that he looks like he could maybe be something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Whereas like a year ago, he looked like he was just like another wasted second round pick. Well, even the, even the, like the first like month of the year, like he was, Mm. he looked worse than he did like at any point last season. So it was kind of like a, Oh fuck. Like that might, like what we saw last year might've been him at his best. Like, and like the scratches were warranted. There was no indication he would suddenly just become like this, like dynamic for checking, like aggressive forward. Like you can't predict that. And that's why development's so tricky is like, you never know if like, like Linus Carlson, for example, like we all know the story that like, he wasn't even on the Canucks draft board. No, he was just a complete throw in from the sharks because they didn't like Jonathan Dolan and whatever story they made up to justify getting rid of him. And then one year, like his D five or his draft plus four year, whatever it was, he finally shows any sign of maybe being something at 22 years old. Like, yeah, no person like no armchair analyst or probably even scout is going to ever expect that to happen. Yeah. And I'm sure if some internal, like people in the organization saw those first like 15 games of Klimovich and were like, Oh, well fuck, there goes that. Yeah. Cause like, what else would you think by a guy who's just like, like basically the JT Miller of the AHL, but on a fourth <laughs> line role. Yeah. Like yeah. it's really funny. Like I, I had that piece for Canucks army about like Klimovich uh, and just like, like his splits basically like the, huge improvement he made sure. but there was a really funny quote from Archdeep Baines about it where you know Faber's asking him uh you know what's it like playing with Klimovich and Archdeep Baines is just like yeah he's a good guy we just got to get his uh anger in check because he gets frustrated he's doing a lot better but like sometimes you can get really mad out there it's <laughs> <laughs> just like so good because I just picture like I picture him like watching Canucks games and seeing JT Miller and thinking to himself like, yeah, like that's what I, that's how you, I feel, man. You people love this shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's good. It's, it's like that guy just made $8 million. Like, a, you know, that guy's yeah. good about to make $8 million a year. Like I gotta be like that. Right. Yeah, I mean, I gotta take, I gotta smash my stick on my goalie's crossbar because he doesn't leave for the net. Yeah. We'll talk about, we will get to that. We'll get to uh, that yeah. uh, later, but, uh, but yeah. Okay. So I uh, get circling back to call it in for a second too. The mm. other thing that I always thought was kind of, I know people did criticize him uh, as a, as a head coach in the NHL for the Blackhawks, but like mm-hmm. you look at where the Blackhawks are at now and it's like, okay, well clearly he wasn't the problem. <laughs> Yeah, you know? did I don't know if you guys caught his um his interview with Halford and Bruff uh this morning on oh, no, no. Wednesday or whatever. But he had like a they they obviously asked him they're like, "So, you're 37 now turning 38. What would you tell the younger Jeremy Colleton, 35-year-old Jeremy Colleton? Uh what would you tell yourself uh for your first NHL promotion with the Blackhawks?" And he has like this huge like heavy sigh like, "Well, yeah." brace yourself <laughs> oh wow he's just yeah. like he's just like like he's basically like complimentary like you know the room loved jolt like coach q so like yeah. it's pretty like it's in it's very difficult to come in and replace like such a legend in both the market but also in that locker room and uh if anything i would look back and just be like appreciative of the time i had and what i've learned since uh but you know hopefully it, it basically indirectly kind of shit on the organization for forcing him to have to answer like all like the the yeah. Kyle Beach situation questions like basically like what Travis Green had to do with for Tannen but they like so much worse what they put him oh like, yeah have to answer like in his first NHL job like I think it was like what his second year on the job and they were yeah. like a dog shit team so like oh, yeah. he he knows like like he was basically like put into like a, a no-win situation 
And so he has like a pretty good attitude about it, but like it's it was a pretty like eye-opening answer where you're just like, man, you gotta feel for the guy because like obviously like how many people like gave like Sheldon Keefe shit for being young and he's like 45. Oh yeah. Or whatever. No, and it's like yeah. like this guy put in a complete like a lose-lose situation. They're like, well, it's because he's a kid. It's like, no. <laughs> Look at the direction of the team. Like they're they're going down the tube. And he's replacing this like twenty year legend. Like you, you can't just like expect him to go in and like f- turn it around. Yeah, and people, people like people are weird about the uh, like age of coaches. Uh, it seems like because I feel like it used <laughs> to be less of a big deal, and maybe it's just that like I specifically grew up in the Mark Crawford era. But mm-hmm. like people just forget that he like took over a brand new like relocated franchise uh like the year before it relocated won the jack adams was the youngest person to win the jack adams and then i believe the next year was the youngest coach to win uh, mm-hmm. a stanley cup and then like you know bounced around forever and actually got like less effective as he got older basically like yeah. you could argue rosters or whatever and that's always fair but like mm-hmm. um you know, I, I think I think Colladon will eventually probably find his way back to the NHL with some team that's like kind of willing to 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 roll the dice. You know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe can't attract like a big name coach or whatever, or wants to just do something new, do something different. Um, I, I, one example that I uh, turn back to, especially lately, is uh, not a lot of people know this or remember this, but like the Daigle, the like Alex Daigle year Ottawa Senators um one of the like most notoriously bad and dysfunctional teams of all time their coaching staff was their head coach was Rick Bonus and their uh assistant coach was Elaine Vigneault and oh really Rick Bonus <laughs> didn't have another head coaching job until like now basically mm-hmm. and Elaine mm-hmm. Vigneault I believe that was like his first stop in the NHL as well and, like, both those guys, you think about, like, I mean, I know Vigneault's pedigree is, like, decreased a little bit recently because, like, the f- time with the Flyers didn't go that amazingly. But, like, those are two guys that are both, like, big-name NHL coaches at this point now. And, yeah, they, they coached, like, one of the fucking worst, most dysfunctional teams of all time. So, like, I think with Jeremy Colliton, it would be very easy at some point to just be, like, Oh, the this guy like now with the benefit of hindsight, like he was fucked going in. He yeah. just never had a chance to to be like to look good for that franchise. Oh yeah, like just basically set up to fail from the yeah. get go. And I'm I'm sure that like like not that I care about Chicago fans like at all because oh no like, like God I don't give a shit. But like I'm sure at some point they'll be like looking back like oh you know maybe we were kind of hard on that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. I think like you know there's there's an there's certainly guys that you look back at in uh Canucks history like especially sort of pseudo recent Canucks history like I mean Travis Green is a big one of just like that guy like did not deserve to get shit on like at all no Uh, he got you know as much out of this team as anyone else ever fucking has in the in the past almost 10 years um and yeah, I mean, the team had the amount of success that it had with him here. Of course, yeah. it was going to get old. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. And and like, even like Willie Desjardins a little bit, <laughs> although I do think like he was pretty bad. But he also had a terrible roster in the in his last two years. I do think with with Willie D though, like his his uh, work in Los Angeles just proves like the guy is just not equipped to run an NHL bench. I think that's probably true. Yeah, it, it was definitely like yeah. a bit of both though. It was like a guy who can't run a bench being given a terrible roster in Vancouver and asked to make hay, and it's yes. like just like the worst combo. And then in LA, it was like, okay, here's a aging roster, Willie. Can you uh, help us yeah. get some good draft picks? And he was like, what? <laughs> yeah, but it's like if you think, you know, uh, like it, obviously I do think that for example, like the best the best example of a team that that Willie Desjardins could coach well is probably the Carolina Hurricanes. But the thing about the Carolina Hurricanes is that I think pretty much anyone could coach that team well because it's just <laughs> extremely well built. But like it is kind of, it is unfortunate for him looking back that like he was a guy who was really calibrated to roll four lines, like to an absurd degree. And yeah. he had like one line. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like at some point you, you have to take, uh, like the ownership and, and, uh, front office has to take responsibility for being like, we're going to go get the four line guy and then give <laughs> him one line. It's, it's very, it's like shades of like, signing Sam Gagne to the biggest contract he ever basically got like post free agent, like post uh UFA status um, to play a role that, <laughs> that he like <laughs> never played when he was successful. And then he goes somewhere else and is like an NHL player again. Like it, it, it was very, uh, uh, very within their wheelhouse to do shit like that. Like, just be like, this guy was good somewhere else. We don't know why he was good, and we're not going to look into it, and we're not going to try to use him the same way. But he was no, God, good no. somewhere else, so he'll be good here. Yeah, he yeah. They looked at his points, like Sam Gagne looked at his points total. Wow, he'll be great as, as our fourth line center. Yeah, let's not deploy him at all the way he was deployed in Columbus. Oh, yeah. he sucks. Well, let's uh send him off the team to the AHL and piss off our entire locker room. Like. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Um, just going to circle back on Willie D. He oh, yeah. is the last Canucks coach to coach a defenseman to 10 goals or more. That is so <laughs> funny. Was it Yannick Weber? Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The fucking rocks. <laughs> Man, I liked Yannick, Yannick Weber. Yannick Weber was so good. I know. And by that, I mean, he was, he was fine, which by Canucks standards is so good. Yeah. yeah. He was a good, like, he was a good guy to have on the power play in that era when it was mm -hmm. still useful to have a big shot on the point. Whereas like now it's like, no one cares. Like you don't, it's <laughs> like, I, I, I believe it was Cam Sharon said the other day that like a shot by a defenseman on the power play is a failed sequence, um, <laughs> which I agree with. Like, like people, people uh, were people talk about like Quinn Hughes only having the one goal and how long it took him to get there. But like, I've always been like, no, it's good. I don't want Quinn Hughes to like have like more than, five goals in a season because yeah. because if he does yeah. it means that something went wrong yeah unless it means his teammates are mobile properly. enough that he can get low so yeah. i could see him learning to rack up a few more goals by doing that sort of like fourth forward thing yeah but sure you're right yeah. like he shouldn't be stop doing one-timers for the point do not work anymore that is that's gone completely um, gone unless they're luke shens because apparently he's the only one that can score <laughs> with a point shot that gets deflected <laughs> in the net yeah, yeah. 
it is funny that the Canucks lead the league in tip-ins. Because um, it's all they got. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Bo just, very, Bo very just did that in front of the, in front of his garage, like Kessler did, and yeah, he wants to get paid. I mean, probably. Um, I'm I'm a little skeptical about the the whole talking point that it's like, oh, he's added a new element or whatever. But like, clearly, he has to some extent. You know, yeah, like, and I mean, like, there's always but, a thing where people go on like percentage benders, and then everyone's like, "Oh, is this fluctuations or is it like actual talent?" And then, but it's kind of a moot point because either it's fluctuations or it's a new skill. But then everyone just videos it and then learns to. <laughs> yeah, that's like, the thing. Yeah, right? It, right? One thing it's, that is interesting thing. though about Bo that I noticed recently is like I went back and looked at his career numbers and like his shooting percentage, his, his personal shooting percentage has basically risen every year that he's played. Yes. And so I do kind of buy that. Like he sort of added this other element to become like a higher percentage shooter overall mm-hmm. than he right. would have been or, or was like three, four years ago. But it's just like, it's not going to stay at 24%. That's the only, no, like, he's like, not the best shooter in the league. No, he might, he might, get to around like 14% if he's like like semi consistently if he's real if you if this is like really really for real but yeah um, like he he's obviously good enough to add enough enough like pep, pep to his shot where like he could crack like 35 for the next like 3 seasons totally but yeah it's unlikely he's going to be a 60 goal scorer this year and every year for the next 3 years like you know his percentages would suggest mm mm-hmm. It'd be great so, because I, can you take I would that get chance. <laughs> in in what sense? <laughs> well, you just got to resign him. You just can't yeah, take that chance. He's going to be a sixty goal scorer for someone else in perpetuity. Well, yeah. Oh, I mean, could you imagine if a player for the Canucks went somewhere else and was good, and it made the Canucks look stupid? <laughs> I don't know if they could come back from that. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, I do love that 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 thing of just people just being like oh well, well like we can't let him go for nothing and then like you know go somewhere else and be good and it's like well <laughs> why that's all we do <laughs> yeah that's all they all we've ever done that is that's, the main thing that we do yeah um, that's what that's what good players on terrible teams can probably do when they go to good teams they can just continue to be good or be utilized even better be, instead of this garbage team that is just gonna waste them all right, so we this is a good time now to circle back a little bit to some of the individual guys on the uh on the Abbey Canucks because yeah. uh I I sort of have this this like theory about development um that I that I that I think like will tie in nicely to some of these individual guys because there are intriguing guys on the team. Mm-hmm. But there have always been intriguing guys on the team and like you know, an example uh, of, um, uh, you know, and I realize he didn't actually play in the AHL very much, but like the Canucks have had a lot of guys like, you know, Adam Gaudet or whatever, mm-hmm. where it's like, ah, this like mid round guy who like, looks like he could be pretty good. And then just for whatever reason, like he kind of has his moments and then just fizzles, you know, mm-hmm. um, there, there's been all kinds of them for, for like a decade now, like, like the Ben Huttons and the, the <laughs> Adam Gaudets and the, um, you know, I was trying to think of like like Ronald's Kennens, you know, like these <laughs> yeah. these guys who like sort of look like maybe they're going to be something. And then it just never really 
they, whether it's they, after they fail to build on it or something, yeah, like they have that one good year and then it's like, eh, yeah, okay. whether it's 10, uh, whether it's, you know, like 10, 20 games or two, three seasons, it just never really like comes together for them. And I, I, I thing number one, I have, I know this for a fact from like the myriad of people that I know who have worked for NHL teams at some point, like most teams just don't develop players at all like they don't have any kind of philosophy when it comes to developing players they don't really know they they couldn't even tell you like oh here's how you take a player and get like more out of them than what what would have been expected when they were drafted right Mm -hmm. like i can remember um uh, one person telling me that uh, there there are people in the league, like numerous people in the league, and that um, the Benning and Weisbrod were among them, who essentially believe that like after you draft a player, their development is on them. So like you <laughs> yes. draft a guy and like he uh-huh. will he will We've develop about this before based yeah. on whether or not he wants to wants to, which is in that is like one of the most absurd things I've ever heard in my entire life. And this is like probably most of the league thinks this, which is crazy to, to even imagine. But so I got to have this theory about development where it's like, okay, you look at the teams that are really good at developing players and they're, <laughs> they're teams that are really good, that have a lot of good players. You know what I mean? And so yeah. sometimes I just kind of think that like, it's like, you know, why did uh i mean i don't know like tyler johnson i don't know that's a good example right because he was undrafted yeah. or whatever right it's like why did tyler johnson develop into a good player and it's like okay well you know tampa has a history of developing good players and they weren't always really good but like you know he went to syracuse and he played with a bunch of good players and then he got called up and then he played with a bunch of good players and like you know for for a lot of guys you know like carolina is another team that does this where where it's like it's easy to develop someone in the nhl or in the ahl where when like it doesn't matter what line you put them on they'll be playing with someone who can compliment them in some kind of way right whereas like it's a lot harder to develop you know i don't know like zach cassian when the best uh line mates that he's ever gonna have other than like occasionally playing two games with the Sidians are Brad Richardson and David Booth. <laughs> you know? Like and I'm and that's mm-hmm. funny. That's a funny one because that's like that that's an old that's a fucking old one now. And Zach Cassian has actually turned out to be a player. Like what a good one is debatable, but like an NHL player. But you know, there the Canucks history is littered with guys like this who uh, who just kind of, you know, yeah, they look like maybe they're something, and then they just aren't. They never are, unless they're, you know, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes level good, basically. And so I guess to circle back to uh, the guys in Abbotsford, like there are a bunch of, um, there are a bunch of guys I want to ask about individually, but mm. I, like, do you think that the environment that, like particularly in the event that they're called up to the NHL squad, 
is in any way conducive to turning any of these players into anything, given that none of them are like <laughs> really have like that X factor of being a, a being maybe a guy who can, you know, just jump up from the AHL and just be super good. Like, you know, William Nylander or whatever. Yeah. I think it, I think it's a bit of both, right? Like is you can't call up some guy who like, like has like, like say if he's like 90, like 50% of the way to being a full-time NHLer, you can't put him in a situation on an NHL team where he's playing with like, like, I don't want to be mean to anyone, but like, like Dakota Joshua and Sheldon mm-hmm. dries or whatever. Right. Yeah. Guys who are like barely NHLers themselves and expect him to just like suddenly figure it out or like make that remaining push to become a hundred percent NHLer. Like you need a really good foundation to try and make that jump. Like, mm. for example, like Tyler Johnson, like in his first like year in the AHL, he was like a point per game player. Like yeah. he had the IQ, he had the shot, he had the skating, whatever. And then when he came up to the the NHL, they had like at least a core there where they trusted their skill player from or their high IQ players from the AHL to come up and then just throw them in the top six. And if they fit, they fit. And if they didn't, they kept them up there anyway. Because yeah, they, and they I will say it. too, like Tyler Johnson was not the best example. <laughs> he was no, just but a like, guy that I thought of, but like it, it's totally fair because it applies to like say like Andre Pilat or like sure. Alex Kalorn or yeah. Alex like, Kalorn would have been a really that would have been like a, a very good example. Yeah, um, and all and all yeah. these guys still like yeah. all those guys for at least the Tampa system. I mean, obviously it's the high standard of the league yeah. because they are so good at finding these guys that are like have the good IQ, they have the skating, they just need like refinement into proving they can actually do it on like a consistent basis. And most of the time, like that's why they won two cups back to back and have been, uh, you know, in the finals three times back to back to back because they are very good at finding guys per 60. Except whereas the Vancouver Canucks spent like a decade finding when like their version of a guys per 60 is Oh, he's got a really good shot. He's got an yeah. NHL caliber shot. Very, it was very, never, it was never like, but that's all it was yeah. for years. It, like Cole Lind, like, yeah, he's got a high caliber shot and he's got good passing. Okay. okay. Well, I, it's, so it's funny you mentioned Cole Lind because I actually think Cole Lind is like, there are examples of guys, um, both here and elsewhere where, so like another thing that, uh, people have, people have told me, is that like there is this sense in the scouting community or I shouldn't say sense. There is this trend Mm. in the scouting community of basically like where a guy gets drafted, like not, not literally, not like in terms of how high, but like literally where he goes, the system that he goes in can immediately take a specific prospect and make them like 10% better or worse in the eyes of the industry just by being like, oh, he went there. And one, a thing that happens like in the scouting community is that a guy will go somewhere and people will immediately just be like, oh man, yeah, that guy's fucked. <laughs> like, like that player in that system is fucked, you know? And I yeah. do think there are guys out there, like, like a lot of them, like, you know, the, the NHL only has so many spots and, um, you know, there's only so many really, truly elite players. And then there's that, that the, the sort of next tier or whatever, like there are a lot of guys 
who probably should have been something mm-hmm. uh, like littered throughout the history of every NHL team that weren't for, I think quite often like reasons that aren't entirely on them. And that's a thing that like, I don't think we, a lot of us want to admit we mm-hmm. want to just imagine that like, okay, well, yeah, like guys are guys become NHLers because they were always going to be NHLers. Like they had the combination of work ethic and skill and you know, yada, 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 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, like a guy I think of uh, as an example is like Josh Hosang. Right. Josh Hosang probably yeah. should have been something. Yeah. Um, you could argue <laughs> that his attitude or whatever, like his sort of way he carried himself might've made it so that there were really only like a couple teams where he could have gone there and become something. Mm-hmm. But like, what's the, <laughs> I can only think of like one really obvious difference between Josh Hosang and Jared <laughs> McCann. You know, yeah, right. Like, and, and he went to the one org that probably pays a lot of attention to that one major difference. Yeah, or the G- yeah. The, sorry, the the president of hockey ops or GM, I should say that. Yeah, cares most about that. Yeah, right. And and so this is this is just, I guess, my way of sort of saying that, like, I think there are a lot of guy, a lot of players that get drafted that, like, if they were drafted by a smarter team that was mm-hmm. or a team that was more invested in turning them into something like, I don't know. Uh, Cole Lind seems to me like a guy who's like, you know, maybe if they gave 10% more of a shit about developing him, yeah, he would be a guy now. Like, I'm not saying he would be what they were hoping he would be, but hmm. he might be like, you know, Dakota Joshua or whatever. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and so uh, uh, it's actually funny you mentioned Dakota Joshua because out of all their guys who shouldn't play in the top six, he is the one that I would most kind of enjoy yeah. seeing play in the top six. Just oh, because sure. like I feel like he he does sort of fit the mold of like, okay, he's fast, he's big, he's kind of mean. Uh he he'll he can like go stand in front of the net and have pucks go in off his ass. Kind of wouldn't ca- mind seeing him play with like Pedersen and Kuzmenko or whatever for any couple. And he, he kind of gives a shit. You know what I mean? Yes. Like every yeah. shift you watch yeah. him, you're not like it's like whenever Luke Chen's on the ice, even if he's slow as shit, you're like, that guy cares. Yeah. He's actually really trying, in spite of his physical limitations, mm-hmm. to try and give the team a chance. Dakota Joshua, I feel the same way. Curtis Lazar, same thing. Like even like the other guys, like all like all the guys making like peanuts relative mm-hmm. to their peers, like they are genuinely trying, but they're just like put in a situation to lose where it's like, okay, the the Sheldon Dries, Will Lockwood, Connor Garland line, like that, like that does not make any sense. You have a yeah. five million dollar forward that was acquired for the ninth overall pick, playing with a guy who has like twenty games of NHL experience and a guy who's never played a full NHL season. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, like that's not good for anyone. Like, it's just like, it makes no sense. But to, to your point, like, I always think this, I th- always think your, your initial point about Oli Ulevi. Like, sure. Yeah. If, if the Canucks had drafted Matthew Kachuk and the Flames had drafted Ulevi, don't you think both of them would be equally as successful today? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Kachuk would have had the edge. They wouldn't have tried to coach him. He would have been immediately in the NHL for the Vancouver and they like, you know, he'd probably elevate everyone's games. They'd probably still be a dog shit franchise, but like he'd be allowed to be him instead yeah. of them being like, Hey, Oli, um, we need you to add 40 pounds to your frame yeah. and completely change how you play the game, which yeah. 
if you're drafting fifth overall and you think you need to completely overhaul a player's game, why are you drafting him? Yeah. And I'm sure exactly. the Calgary Flames would have just saw, seen him, let him cook in the OHL and then the Liga and then brought him over and not told him to do a goddamn thing because they had, you know, uh, Mark Giordano. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they would have trusted their decor to insulate a guy like him without like feeling the need to fuck around with him. Yeah. Maybe, it's like, maybe his health holds up because he's not adding like 50, 40 pounds. pounds. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, te- it's, you know, it's tempting to just be like, Oh, only you levy, you know, like, I mean, I know I say this all the time. Like I regret, I was writing at the time I was writing for Canucks army. I regret not going harder on that pick because there was, there were things uh, that that were red flags like like his scoring was really low for how good his team was and how mm. often he was stapled to a, a line of players who all played in the NHL the following year and all <laughs> scored at least like 45 points or whatever. But yeah. uh, but at the same time, like I do kind of agree with you, like I don't think Ole Ulevi would just be nothing if he was drafted by a team that kind of even half knew what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. And, and- yeah, that's that's my point. Yeah. And yeah, and that's and I I think you see that kind of with some guys where it's just like, oh, like what, ha- you know, like, oh, that, you know, that draft pick didn't look very good or like, oh, we all keep waiting for that guy to break out and it just hasn't happened. And then finally, mm-hmm. like, you know, Brett Connolly at 27 <laughs> scores like 25 goals or whatever. Yeah. As, and- an, ex- as an example, like there are the, there are also a bunch of guys that sort of prove this uh, like that, that offer us a proof of concept. Like, you know, uh, Brett Connolly, Jonathan Marcheseau, Anthony Duclair, like, uh, I don't know. There, there's a bunch of them. And all of these guys obviously had natural talent and like, you can't make a nobody into a talented player, but like Mm -hmm. there are, I think there are a lot of guys that are kind of like, you know, basically, as as a drafted prospect or as a like uh undrafted free agent who's 20 years old are basically like toss up guys you know they're like yeah. they're they're like a sort of you look at them as a prospect and you're like that's a 50-50 guy and then mm-hmm. depending on where he goes and how the organization like treats him specifically or prospects in general it's like okay well all of a sudden this guy who we thought was like a 50-50 guy is now like a 65 guy yeah or case, or case a 40 percent guy jack yeah. rath jack rathbone like yeah he spent last summer that the team really wanted to re-sign him to a deal because they had faith that he was going to be an nhler said as much in every media availability about how they were going to give him every chance to prove he can be an nhler and then they parked him on the bench and now he does not look the exact same as he did last year yeah. he's a shell of himself because yeah. he he has no idea what this organization wants from him anymore. He goes and, from being told, you know, you did so much improving last year as the team's leading defenseman. You know, you're going to get reps on the power play, blah, 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 blah. Then he gets to the NHL. They still saddle power play two to Oliver Ekman Larson, even though he can't back check or control the line anymore. And then they send him to the AHL and they're probably like, like, what more can he prove? Yeah. And and like, by the same token, too, I also think that history is also littered with guys who get to be like retconned as successful prospects just because teams keep making the same mistake with them over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, like 
there are there are a lot of guys like Eric Branson is obviously the Mona Lisa <laughs> of like bad players that got a million chances. But like I kind of think about like Derek Pouliot, who I remember draft, that sweet draft pedigree. You know, I remember talking about someone to him or someone talking to someone about him and them saying like, oh, yeah, like we knew that guy wasn't going to be a guy after like his first NHL season because blah, 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 blah. Like detail oriented things that scouts noticed that like I would not notice. Right. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah. it just I don't know. It's just an interesting philosophical discussion to me to to think about, like, what is development? Why are some teams so good at it? Like, are are some players just completely screwed kind of from the get-go? Uh, you know, and it, it's one of those things where you don't get to, you don't get a redo. You don't get to see the alternate universe, so you never really know. Mm -hmm. So I guess now that we've basically, you know, stated as much that the that the, the Canucks are fucked and that none of their players are going to become <laughs> anything. I want to very yeah. quickly do uh, a word association like a, or a name association, I guess, with you. Um, oh, yeah. Just quickly fire off uh, through like uh, like a few guys um, on the AHL team before we kind of move into the, you know, we got to talk about JT Miller a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we'll start with um the guys who have, have actually played on, on the NHL team for a significant amount of time this year. Like, I just want to know basically what you think of how they've played and where you think their trajectory is like positive or negative. Um, so uh, the obvious place to start is with the better players, but I actually want to start with Niels Oman um, because he kind of had that classic, uh, you know, AHL player thing or whatever, where he came up, looked really good for the Canucks for like 10 games and then sort of fizzled. But uh, hmm. is the, where, where where's he at right now? I know he's looked pretty good with the other two former NHLers. I think if they manage him properly, he can be what they, what the organization probably should have done with Adam Gaudet. Like, okay. yeah. like actually like hmm. kept, kept him cooking in the AHL for the whole season so that he's confident, gets a shot, you know, feels at least, some kind of offensive instincts in some league, some capacity, and then gets to the NHL and is not sheltered, but at least like put in a role where he's comfortable playing his minutes and not looking so like deer in the headlights, like he did to start the year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, th I think there's potential there where he could definitely be a guy per 60. Yeah. Okay, great. So <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's where, that's how we're going to end this off is, is we're going to play a game of guy or no guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to bring out Megan Markle and a bunch of other ladies with, uh, <laughs> with uh, suitcases that I'll say guy or no guy in them. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get on my, my gloves and make sure not to uh, touch anything directly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's Niels Oman. Um I'll start with, or I'll, I'll end with the two most interesting. So, okay. Niels Oman, our steep Baines. I think he has potential to be a guy per 60 high, mm -hmm. I, high IQ seems to gel with any line he's on already shown really like pretty decent two way intelligence for a 22 year old, uh, in like a, you know, pretty jump, big jump from the WHL to the a. So mm -hmm. I'd say there is potential for a guy per 60 here. Okay. Uh, Klimovich. <sighs> Oof, that's tough. I think there's a guy per 60 here. Mm -hmm. The start to this season obviously like put the bar like below 
bottom. <laughs> yeah. Like the bar went to zero in my books just because of how bad he was. So like we're 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 building back up. So he's like like 15% for me right now. I, I think he can be a guy for 60 because his shots like legit as like as much as I don't want to sound like Jim Benning. Sure. But like if if he manages to be this committed to defense and two-way play as he's shown the last month, there might be a guy for 60 here. Okay. Uh, Linus Carlson. Uh, I don't want to be too positive and just say everyone's a guy for 60 because sure. that's dumb. I, I have a feeling his foot speed will hold him back from yeah. ever actually being a full-time NHLer. I think he'll get games. Like yeah. I think like, like Will Lockwood can get games and, so can, you know, Sheldon Dries or Noah Juleson or all these other guys that aren't exactly fleet of foot when they take the next step up. Yeah. But, like, for all of Carlson's, like, offensive upside, like, I just, like, I would have to see, like, a huge improvement over the next, like, you know, four months or whatever to actually think he could be a guy for 60. It's, I, like, 50-50 for me. My extremely uneducated opinion on this uh, is that, like, they should just move him off of center now and just cut their losses on that one and just be like, okay, this guy's a winger. Oh, he, he's mostly with the wing anyway. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. he, cause he's listed okay. as a center. And so I wasn't, you know, and I, I know he got some looks mm-hmm. at center in training camp. So yeah. that's good. That's a good sign to me that they're, that they're not trying to make that work. Um, yeah. Because he's too slow to be a center. Yeah, it, it's weird because like, he's not a center, but like he, he's actually like a really like, for as slow as he is, he's like a really good four checker and good at yeah. forcing turnovers. But like, you just tell like when you like even when you watch Will Lockwood skate in the AHL compared to Carlson, you're like, oh, he's he's way faster, okay. and he's and he doesn't look good. <laughs> uh, Jet Wu, uh, no, absolutely not a guy. I I just don't like. I I obviously pop in the the Canucks subreddit from time to time because like that's where I started with uh, the Farmies or whatever, mm-hmm. and this one guy was like on my Klimovich article was like, I want to see stuff about jet woo. And I was like, eh, yeah, like let's not get crazy. And this person was like, I don't care if he has zero points so long as he's a shutdown defenseman. It's like, dude, shutdown defenseman put up points. <laughs> like it's true. in the yeah. AHL, like yeah. they put up points. Like I always cite this article, but like Tom, Thomas Drance had an article like years ago that's still up on Canucks army. And it was like, what are the what are the Canucks prospects going to do during the um, uh, the lockout? And it was like Chris Tanev needs to prove he can score and really needs to get some offensive flair in his game. And this is coming after a season when he was like 0.3 points per game. Yeah. And Jet Wu is like putting on like a career year and he might crack 0.2. Yeah. Totally. Like mm. like he's just not there. Like for like yeah he's big and he throws some hits, but like the IQ isn't there. And he doesn't score. He has a terrible shot. It's like, no, no on the guy for 60. Yeah. Okay. So these are just two guys that I literally just want to know what happened to them Uh because like they were guys that I heard about. And then Mm. now it seems like maybe they're hurt or like, I don't know, something happened, but uh, Brady keeper, what the fuck happened to Brady keeper? Well, I think he's injured. Okay. But it doesn't matter because his foot speed was, absolutely atrocious yeah when he was playing like he came back from like that brutal leg injury so i wonder if that played into it but like yeah i think he just got fucked by the injury i think that screwed him over because like he he plays like pretty like hard minutes like he's basically like kind of like the tyler myers oel of the ahl where he's 
you know, put with like Wyatt Kalanuck or whoever it is, some other random guy, but like he just doesn't have the foot speed and can't pivot. He makes a lot of really smart plays, but like it, it's just clearly like such a, like a problem for his game. So he's, I mean, if he's not injured, that means he's been healthy scratch for the last like eight games, which yeah, is totally like, okay. In death and then Quinn Schmeeman is a guy who like, he's a rookie. So he, he could genuinely just be in too early to tell for sure territory, but that's mm-hmm. another guy that's like, what the fuck happened to that guy? Yeah. That was weird because he got like a ton of reps at that, like camp. Mm-hmm. Like uh, he was playing with like Hughes at one point and then like it, he just like stopped. And then he was a healthy scratch and then like got sent to the ECHL where he didn't really do anything. And now he's just a healthy scratch. So probably a case where they're like, we like the org thought they had something here and And it's just like, he hasn't shown anything. Never mind. Yeah, exactly. Like that happens all the time. So like, yeah, probably not a guy for 60. Okay. So now we'll get to the, we'll get to two guys who we already know are guys Mm -hmm. because they've played like hundreds of NHL games. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But you know, I look at, the and I don't know how uh, up to date these stats are on their AHL website, but like I look at Put Colson and Hoaglander and I look at their like point totals, at least based on what's on the website. And mm. I look at them and I just go like, yikes. Yeah, not great. Like, I don't know what's going on with what's I mean, obviously you got to compartmentalize, but what's going on <laughs> with those guys? Hoglander's like, I mean, he's having fun. Like I'll give him oh, that. Like okay. like when he's in the offensive zone, like he's like doing a lot of stuff. Like he's he's still his usual aggressive stealth. But like yeah, like you would expect someone with as much NHL experience as like him and Pod Colson to actually like just dominate and be scoring like three points a game. Yeah, like there's no reason they shouldn't yeah. be, especially because like it's not like the team is bad. The team is good, and they're playing on like quality lines like hoglander's playing with amon and carlson they've got chemistry but it's like the points just aren't coming for hoglander for some reason yeah it's it's really weird like he's he's like averaging like three shots a game too so like it isn't for lack of trying but it is like kind of like a eyebrow raiser where you're like how is this possible the other thing i've heard too from people is that like sometimes it's actually deeply weird to adjust from the ahl like to the AHL from Mm -hmm. the NHL if you've never really played in the AHL because it's like so that I think applies to Vasily Podkolz okay because basically his point totals in the AHL are like you know for a guy like him you know 10th overall pick or whatever yeah you would really expect him to be just like lighting it up especially because you know we saw it in his rookie year in the NHL like it's not like the kid like sucks at scoring goals like he's got a wicked shot He's yeah. got great speed, but at the AHL level, like even like on a top line with like other like proven AHL like point per game players, like he's just like not putting up points. And I I genuinely wonder if it's just like the the frantic kind of play. Yeah, you gotta like, wonder on some level if it's just if it's just being like you know played in the KHL, played in the NHL, and then he gets down there and he's just like, oh, everybody's passes like suck. Yeah, you know what like, I mean, like, like, or, or just, or just like, oh fuck, you're over there. That's not what <laughs> I was expecting. You know, like, I, like, I wonder if there's an element of that to it. It also, like, he spent like all his time in the KHL and the VHL, being told like you can't play selfishly. You have to play structured team play hockey. He goes to t- Travis Green. It's the same thing. You've got to play structured hockey. 
you've got to play like a certain way. And then he gets to Bruce Boudreaux and it's like, okay, you're playing structured. You're competing really well, but you're not scoring. So get out of here. Yeah. So then he goes to AHL where it's, it's all about individual performance, really. Like it's about how you separate yourself from the pack as an individual creator of offense and how committed you are to back checking. And he's good at back checking. He's got, you know, he's got the defensive play, but it's like for a guy that has his wheels and his shot, like, he shouldn't be sitting on three goals. Well, we're in, we're in high, like, or we're in, you know, high teens of games for him now, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. He's almost, he's almost cracked 20 games and he doesn't have 15 points or whatever. Yeah. Like like that's a bet. That seems bad. Like you would hope that a guy, and this is, this again, goes back to kind of my theory about development and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and like where you end up kind of matters because, you know, we we've definitely seen like Sam Gagne is an interesting example, despite the fact that he just played his thousandth game or whatever. Guys mm-hmm. who like should be better, and then they just go somewhere, and it's like immediately like, okay, you got to be the guy, you got to yeah. be like a top six player right now, or and and or you're you know, a failure. <laughs> I, I think it's really toxic. Ultimately, like I'm not blaming Bruce Boudreau, but I do think it's really toxic to. To be like, you know, what do I want from Niels Hoaglander ultimately? Like, I kind of just want Niels Hoaglander mm-hmm. to be Yannick Hansen. Like, that's yeah. that's why he wore Yannick Hansen's number um, uh, for a while. He should go back to that, by the way. Um, what do I want him to do? I want him to skate fast, uh, you know, keep your stick on the ice, like, you know, pot some goals if you can, but most importantly, just like forecheck like a beast and backcheck like a beast, you know, be – be committed defensively and, you know, play like uh, play, be hard to play against genuinely. Like, um, you Mm -hmm. know, use your, he doesn't have a lot of size, but he's thick, like use that, you know, be hard along the boards or whatever. And, you know, points, the points are, you know, just don't worry about it. Like, and to put him in an environment where it's like, no, no, you got to score. And if you don't score, then you're useless to me. That seems really toxic. Like, that seems like the exact opposite of what you want a player like that to be thinking about. It's like, no play Mm -hmm. defensively sound hockey work hard and the points will come because you can score points. Um, And I feel like that's what he was able to do under Travis green, like in his first year, pretty effectively. And then it's just like now the, the it's totally, you know, perverse incentives all the way down. It's interesting because for Pod Colson, most people thought when he was going to get sent down to Abbotsford, they were immediately going to just give him penalty killing time because that seemed like the one thing they wanted him to do. Because under Travis Green, like to your point, like he pretty much had the offensive down, offensive side down. He was, you know, tenacious in the offensive zone. He was playing hard to, like, despite being like an undersized guy, he was playing pretty hard to play against. Mm-hmm you want to see him like kill penalties Mm -hmm. like Faber's whole thing was like, he did it in the KHL. Why isn't he doing it in the NHL? Sure. So it's like, okay, he goes to Abbotsford, add that to his game, but he hasn't gotten any reps on it, even though their PK sucks. (laughs) So it's like, okay, where, where are the incentives here? Because the team is calling up Will Lockwood to the NHL and they're not really giving him NHL or uh, PK looks. So, why not just keep Pod Colson up there because he's a proven scorer at that league? Yeah. So totally. what what is Pod Colson gaining now from not being able to produce in the AHL level or playing on the PK? Like you might as well 
not like get the guy that you think can be like actually like a legitimate middle six contributor. Yeah, totally. In the NHL learning how to be a middle six contributor instead of just like this weird nebulous you're just a player at the AHL level on our in our top line. Yeah, in, instead of going with the guy who we think might be able to score and be a middle six player, we're going to go with the guy who we definitely know is not that. <laughs> it's a deeply yeah. weird way of doing things. Yeah, it's okay. very strange. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know. No, I... But I that, he, to answer your question, though, he's definitely going to be a guy for 60. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in both cases, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I could. Those are both guys, like, especially Hoaglander. Like, I could just see Hoaglander immediately going somewhere else and becoming, like, a 50-point guy. Like, Oh, for sure. Like, you, you could totally see him going to Toronto and basically doing what Kasperi Kapanen was for them yeah. for, like, a few years. Like, just, like, a really good two-way contributor who, like, puts up, like, you know, somehow puts up 45 points and no one talks about him. Yeah, absolutely. I know Carolina wanted him. Um, and like, that's a, that would be a, the perfect place for him to end up. Like, well, they'll, yeah. they'll move him and Tyler Myers or whatever, because they need to make the cap space for Andre Kuzmenko. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> so I was, I was, uh, I was really hoping we were going to end somewhere, uh, on either like, you know, being bad on the PK or shitty back checking or whatever. <laughs> so I could go speaking of that and then just go straight into the JT Miller stuff. But uh, I can't do that because we had other things to say, but we do have mm. to end uh, off on the, uh, on the JT Miller thing. Um, and, and also I guess uh, very quickly as well, like uh, to, 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 to tie this in sort of like, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Colin Delia thing. And mm -hmm. then that kind of spiraled into, oh, is there a pylon happening for JT Miller? And then that spiraled more into like this quote from Rick Dollywall the other day, basically being like, oh, Canucks management is well aware of Canucks Twitter and the negative media, whatever the fuck yeah. that even means. Um, I'm going <laughs> to open it up to I'm going to open it up to Elliot uh, for a second because yep. we did heavy. Uh, AHL talk and the, I, mm -hmm. you haven't had a chance to say much, but like, um, I guess like, I feel like I'm like too deep in it now. Like I've, I've gone too far and I, I, I can't look at it rationally anymore. It's like immediately an emotional response for me, <laughs> but like, right. I have a very, very hard time having any sympathy for um, not so much JT Miller, like, like that's, that's kind of different. Like I, I, I actually do have some level of sympathy for like players having the eye of Sauron fixated upon them. Cause I know that that can be hard and sometimes unfair, but like yeah. from a team perspective, the team spent three years dunking on their own fans for being like, I don't like this trade. I don't like this guy. Uh, the media is doing the same thing. Like, and in my case, like, it was like, well, whatever. Like I kind of signed up for it. Cause I, uh, you know, have like a, a media side hustle or whatever, but like a lot of the people who ended up on the other side of that, like, again, like, like myself being the most notable, but other just randos too. Like, Oh, here's this guy's Twitter handle, like not blocked out in like a video tweeted out by the team or like on the fucking, you know, Saturday night hockey night in Canada panel or whatever. Yeah. And then to just be like, Oh, are people being too mean to our player that we gave too much money to? And was 
did probably like one of the in terms of a teammate to another teammate like most asshole things i've ever seen someone do like <laughs> am i am i putting too fine a point on this or or am i onto something like at what point are we being too hard on jt miller and have we reached that point yet i mean i don't mean it feels like no yeah <laughs> I, don't th- I, I don't think so because i mean yes you got humiliated for that tweet because the trade in of itself was useless. I think that's pretty clear, but I mean, value for value, it probably worked out. But yeah. more importantly, like, yeah, JT Miller, what, he rolls in, he does unlikable stuff and gets paid way too much money to kind of underperform. I I think he's getting a pretty reasonable level of criticism. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like I said, like, I feel like I've just, I, I'm too deep into it now to to be able to, to just say like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like uh, let's be reasonable about this or whatever. But um, I mean, for the most part, like the, the criticism always circles back to being more about management and ownership and the, the organization itself than the actual guy. And with Miller, it is like um, there, there is an element to it where, it is partly the guy because he just does things that make him look like a jerk. But, you know, if you, if you take, if you take a step back from it, it, what is the thing that it always comes back to? It's like, why did they do this? Why did they Mm -hmm. sign this guy for this long when they're in this position? Um, so I, I mean, when like, you know you need more, when you know you need more like depth players and more like actually functional depth players and guys to build around a supporting cast. Sorry, not depth. Yeah. Why are you burning all your money on a guy who, at best, is a supporting character? Yeah. yeah. Well, especially after an off season where you spend the entire time telling the fan base that you acknowledge that cap issues are the one thing holding you back from improving your blue line and your team. Yeah. So so Absolutely. like. They, they like not this wasn't JT Miller's fault when it was like, okay, the organization put a target on his back when they signed him to that extension. Kudos to him for earning such a huge payday because apparently he wasn't going to get it anywhere else. But good for him. That rocks. You know, if if Aquilini is spending $56 million for the next eight years and he gets zero playoff revenue because the team's capped out, hell yeah. yeah. Do it all the time. Yeah. That rules. Um, but the target then shifts from management to like himself when it's you're you're the only player of recent memory to to try and cuck your coach yeah and his decision making by slamming your stick on your third string goaltender's net because he's not going to the bench in a game you were thoroughly getting outplayed in and in a situation where the coach has recently said i didn't pull my goalie because the team sucked and they didn't deserve it basically like very recently Mm -hmm. and then so so there's that element then there's also like um the coach isn't pulling the goalie so you're wrong yeah you're just getting mad at a guy for uh, based on a false premise Mm -hmm. you're getting mad at the the guy who is Playing better than in this game, just in this specific game, like better than you could ask him to play or reasonably expect him to play. 
and mm-hmm. is probably the only reason you're even in the position where you could possibly win the game if you pulled your goalie. And I did. I thought this was very funny. I, I, I'm i not going to put the person on blast, but I did see <laughs> by name, but I did see someone basically be like, oh, well, he's not looking at the bench. Like he doesn't have time for that or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> okay, but he has time to do the worst stick swinging inst- incident since Marty McSorley. <laughs> <laughs> you know like yeah, yeah. I, I i don't buy that like it, and so it's it's just like when yeah when you're not playing well it's a bad idea to draw attention to yourself in that way i think that's and then, that's what it boils down to and then even worse to then follow up your performance with an interview where you say you don't give a shit what oh, people God. think about it or how you reacted and then to have one of the worst games of your career in the Ooh. following night despite playing with the best player on the team trying to buoy you and your terrible defensive play. Like just a trifecta of just like, well, the target's now equally on you as it is on management. Like there's no avoiding Absolutely, it. Yeah. And no person on Twitter with a JT Miller Jersey or JT Miller profile picture can tell me otherwise that people are being too mean to him. It's on him now. Like no matter what team you've been on, you don't just like rage on your teammates or swing a stick or kick a ball at him, or do any of that crap. Like it's that's and if you do, you do it behind closed doors. You don't do it in front of yes, twenty seven k people in Rogers Arena. Exactly. That's really keep it to practice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like like that was like the big issue. Is like they said, like a lot of people were like, "Oh, this is like a competitive edge thing. This is a guy who clearly wants to win." It's like, yeah, like the best Canucks teams clearly had a competitive edge and really wanted to win, but when you know. Kevin Bieksa like fucked up his man and they got scored on. You didn't have Kessler taking a shot at him. No. In the middle of play. And there, and and this is the thing too. Like there's a reason why teammates can fight each other in practice and it can be less of a story than this was, which is like guys fighting each other. Teammates fighting each other is a way bigger deal than like in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Then like, could you imagine if two teammates fought each other in an NHL game? It would be a story for years it, it would, would never it would be stop one of those things that lives on forever along with like montreal rioting over richard's suspension exactly yeah and then in in whereas it happens in practice and it's like we forget about it you know it becomes it happened, an anecdote it in, in the story too. of uh of the blues winning the stanley cup you know well, well yeah if it happens at practice it's like oh these guys clearly wanted to win it isn't Pretty a much, it yeah. isn't a this is a dysfunctional organization we're like, like these... oh tensions are boiling over but it simmers eventually Hmm. These are guys that like clearly have a high standard of uh, how they want to play as a team and they're venting their frustrations with each other. Like, okay, shit like that's going to happen with a bunch of like dudes who see themselves as alpha males in a room full of alpha males. Yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you just don't have that happen. On, like, like Elliot said on ice in the middle of 17,000 people. <laughs> yeah. Um. Just to get one last dig into, I do think it's funny that people say people will be like, okay, JT Miller, not good defensively at center, but great defensively on the wing or like pretty good defensively on the wing. And then it's like, okay, but when he plays on the wing, he plays exclusively with either Elias Patterson or Bo Horvat. And I know yeah. like Bo Horvat is not like it's come, it's gone too far the other way now where like people thought Bo Horvat was really good defensively and he never mm. actually has been. And then that circled back to being like, oh, he sucks defensively. And when he doesn't, like, he's just like, fine. Yeah. He's yeah, not yeah. an elite defensive center. He's like a passable, like, 
you know, very pretty good offensive center who's like, you know, whatever defensively, like doesn't like yeah. lose his man, but isn't like doesn't have exceptionally good reads or whatever. And so I do just think it's kind of funny that it's like, well, like, OK, put him on Sheldon Dry's wing for a couple games yeah. and then see how he does defensively, you know, <laughs> I- I'm sure I'm sure you saw like the J Fresh scorecard for Bo Horvat. It's like the guy's like league average, like he's the 47th percentile for like defensive play. Yeah. But he's like the 97th percentile for goal scoring. And it's like, you know what? You can be league average yes. defensively as a matchup center for your entire career. If you're in the 97th percentile for scoring, yeah, you're for exactly. you're 14th yeah. in total goals in the last like two seasons. You, you can be league average when you're JT Miller and like you're you know you have one season where like you're completely checked out screaming at adam godette and then yeah. the next year you you show up because you want a contract extension y- you don't get that kind of like benefit of the doubt like you got to keep working for it even if you're extended yeah and he hasn't so i mean yes <laughs> and i mean we could end Sheldon up having Drive. this conversation about Bo in a year <laughs> yeah for sure. there yet, so you know okay uh, there's just one more thing i want to say about like, oh yeah the, sure. uh, stuff yeah. Because I, I know I was seeing a bunch of stuff about like, oh, again, hockey ops is aware of the negative Vancouver media. Yeah. The media here is not negative compared to what it was during the Benning years because no one cares anymore. Yeah. Like, or even or even, even the during Benning the Gillis year. years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the thing. Like we don't have we don't have uh, a guy, we don't have guys going on TV every week and and being like, I the Canucks best players are women. And that's bad because women are yeah. bad. You know what I mean? Like that was just, we were just inundated with that for like <laughs> seven years. And then people are like, gee, people are sure mean to JT Miller for being like, wow, that asshole thing he did was a thing an asshole would do. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. 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 It's actually kind of insane until you think about it too. Like you had more like, like, like media from other fan bases, like, calling like the te- the team's best players like incestuous freaks yeah and and yeah. like you have like this market getting up in arms because like <laughs> some guy on radio is like oh you know i didn't like that j- that back checking el- effort from the eight million dollar man so, yeah. like yeah <laughs> like, these are not the same thing at all um okay so final uh question because we're we're well into enough time here this is just a very oh, yeah. quick one right just so we're clear though uh setting aside the like criticism of a player or whatever there is no level of criticism that you can levy at a general manager unless it is like posting his home address or or harassing him in public <laughs> that is like too much right yeah short of short of following the guy to an underground parkade and then like shoving like a fistful of papers of all your cap friendly trades you said and <laughs> and threatening to kill him if he doesn't do them yeah <laughs> like you're not really like antagonizing these guys i can't imagine like 97 year old jim rutherford is <laughs> jim rutherford twitter. Does twitter exists it does not matter yeah. what you say about him on twitter jim rutherford is too busy fantasizing about the day that he could tie a bunch of balloons to his house and float away to <laughs> fucking uruguay or whatever <laughs> He looks so much like <laughs> Carl from up. Okay. Anyways, uh, uh, thanks uh, a ton, Cody, for doing this with us. Um, uh, very illuminating, actually, and and refreshing to talk about something other than the big club, which is just like hugely Tire depressing. Fire. I hope all of the guys that you said could be guys become guys. 
Well, um, just for we'll you. need someone to track that. Maybe Yerky can uh, keep this uh, tracked for us. Absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, I'm thanks sure... for having me on, though. Appreciate yeah. it. Oh no, anytime. Uh, where can where can people find you? Plug your plug your shit. I am just on Canucks Army now and Twitter at nice. Cody Sievertson. Uh, yeah, I cut out the podcasting game just so I can do Roxy Fever exclusively. Beautiful. Um, We're very happy about che- that. Hopefully, my check's in the mail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks, yeah, great. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Failsome McDonald. You, you can, can follow, follow Elliot up. at Moose Kayak. Perfect. I fucking did it for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't forget to follow the show at Roxy Fever and uh, subscribe to the Patreon. We've been um, uh, kind of neglecting it a little bit because Christmas season and stuff, but there's going to be uh, good stuff up on there soon. I have big plans. Um, we're going to do another movie uh, pretty soon, but then I also have what I think is going to be a pretty good heritage minute that people will be stoked about uh, pretty soon. Next big thing that I'm working on. So mm-hmm. uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Bye.